This is the People Focus Podcast with Talkstaff, celebrating the most important asset that we all have, our people. The people that help keep our businesses running each and every day. The people that motivate us when times are hard, help us make decisions that don't always feel like they're the right ones, and challenges when we need to stay on track to achieve the overall company mission. They are the purpose behind what we do, and this is where we honor them. The People Focus Podcast, and here's your host, Gary Parsons. Thanks very much for joining me, Gary Parsons, once again on the People Focus Podcast. I am joined today by Rachel Haywood. She is the founder of Ask Chameleon. They're a multi-award winning micro consultancy that supports SMEs and charities to grow through creating tenders and funding applications and ultimately gain more exposure through successful business award submissions. She's also a university academic, an area lead for the FSB, and a charity trustee. Despite securing £34.5 million for clients, Rachel recently found herself excluded from government support. And in 2020, she also co-created the Swap Shop to support fellow small businesses, which is essentially a simple website for facilitating non-monetary exchanges of skills, talents, products, and services. Rachel, thank you very much for joining me on the People Focus podcast. This feels like we should have done it a year ago, but of course this didn't exist. How are you doing? I'm really well, thanks very much. And I I can't believe how quickly, you know, 18 months has flown by, even though it's been the most challenging of times for a lot of business owners. It really has. And um, I think, you know, absolutely now, even for the bigger businesses, you know, everybody's feeling that at the moment, no more so than than, than those that, that are in the SME market. Do you want to just introduce yourself and just talk about particularly Ask the Chameleon? That was something that you've been running now for quite a few years from what I, from what I understand. I never set out to be self-employed. Um, I don't think I'm very unique in that way, but it definitely happened by accident for me. I'm HR by trade and I spent the early part of my career working in local government and then more latterly in the charity sector in Derby. Um, and I think working in the charity sector really does prepare you well for being self-employed. You become very resilient, very resourceful, um, and a great multitasker. I used to deliver unemployment programs for the government, supporting people into work, and I was leading a trading arm of the Council for Voluntary Service in Derby, which is Community Action Derby. Voluntary severance meant that I left, and um, a colleague from Derby College actually asked me to write a bid for them. Um, because they needed some extra help, we hadn't got the capacity, and we did, and it won. And that's literally how my um, self-employment journey began, um, because I thought, oh, perhaps I could do this for other people. I've been doing it very successfully for my employer, and I never really realised I could do it as a my own business. And I was also working at the university at the time. Um, I was doing a bit of um, associate lecturing, and at one point when I set up Ask the Chameleon, I had three jobs. So I had two two employed jobs and I was building up Aster Chameleon on the side. Um, and then in 2015, I created the company and bit by bit over the subsequent years, I've stopped my employed jobs um, and concentrated mainly on the, on the consultancy itself, becoming 100% focused on that in the year leading up to the pandemic 2019, 2020. Um, and I found that I... I had a real talent for working with other people. 
I love writing about brand new shiny ideas. I'm a bit of a magpie. And I also then was asked to write business awards. It just took off from there. I've been really, really fortunate. The Derby community have been wonderfully supportive. Now, you're, you're no stranger to award wins, are you? I've seen your name on most of the lists of finalists awards over the last year, including Enterprise Women, um, Female Entrepreneur of the Year. You've had awards in the professional services categories. I've saw you've been listed. Every time I've gone to an awards ceremony or seen an awards ceremony, I can see you blushing now for those that will watch video clips back. Uh, I've seen your name everywhere in lights and, you know, absolutely applaud you. you you've done amazing, in fact. And, I, and I'm just looking, I, I pulled out a, a quotation from Lewis Stringer, who um, you and I know him as, the, um, as one of the senior managers in the British Business Bank. And he said, uh, Rachel is such a very worthy winner. Her amazing personal resilience and self-contribution to the wider business community over the last 18 months is inspiring. I think you've inspired a lot of people uh, just by your sheer determination. And you said you're a bit of a magpie. You want to reach out and jump onto ideas, but that's always been very selfless from what I've seen. You've always wanted to make sure that people bang the drum and and shout about what they've achieved. But can I, can I just give you a round of applause? You've done amazingly well. Congratulations. I think absolutely long overdue. Um, how does it feel to be this multi-award winning person business? How how did that feel? Because you, you've helped so many others. I've had a lot of help too. You know, no no business owner is an island. Um, and and that was tested so much over the past 18 months. And there are, I have a really core group of, of business friends that I wouldn't be here today without them. And my family and my other personal friends. But I think business friends understand exactly how isolating it can be and how scary it can be sometimes. We have a roller coaster of our own as small business owners. When COVID hit, we had a corona coaster. It was even bigger. The awards are, I mean, I will wax lyrical about awards. They are for any size of business, freelance, solo, multi-teams. I don't, I don't care what you have. We should all be applying for them. My mum thinks it's hilarious that we nominate ourselves, but we do. And, and they are part of your marketing toolkit. And because we're terribly British, sometimes we can be like, oh, I couldn't possibly, you know, put myself forward. And I, I struggle with that, too. So you're right. When you were saying all those things, I blush, you know, because you feel that you don't deserve it or there are people out there that are better than you or, you know, you're just shy. The awards that I've won, um, the, the three that, awards that I've won have been a long time in the applying. So the Enterprising Women, the Female Entrepreneur, that's the third time I applied. I would get disheartened. I'm very competitive, so you know if I didn't win, I didn't win. Oh, should I bother applying again? Maybe it's not for me. So this was definitely going to be my last year of trying. Um, and then the Derbyshire Live Professional Services that was an awesome accolade because I have watched those every year, and they are very much have been very much the domain of larger companies. So much so that on the night when they called my name, I was really shocked, and I went to have my photograph taken, and the lovely photographer went. Would you like to bring your team? And I sniggered and said, there is, there's just me. That will be my lasting thing about that. Um, and I'm so proud of myself for putting myself forward to be judged. It's a very brave thing because there is the likelihood that you might not win. But being a finalist is just as rewarding. And I think all of those individuals that put themselves out there are massively brave. And I applaud them, you know, sincerely for being able to do that. The thing about awards is how you then go on to use them. 
you know, they shouldn't just be that one day in the diary, that one dinner, because they can be quite expensive. But it's how you use them to set yourself apart for your customers against your competition, but also how you can do them to lift others up as well. And that's massively important. And I and I hope particularly the professional services one shows that a woman from Burton that basically is a one-woman band is just as able to apply and win as a company that's been going 20 years and has a team of 20. There is that stigma, isn't there, around the word entrepreneur as well. And you know, to be that entrepreneur of the year, there's an argument there to say, you are entrepreneurial whether you've got a business full of many people whether you've bought you've sold you've got lots of different projects that you've been involved in and would you recognize that word entrepreneur as a as an individual seeing that your name in those lights that's really difficult because in my academic space we do use the word entrepreneur and the word intrapreneur for people that are employed but have those characteristics i personally don't use that as a word to describe myself i would rather say i'm a business owner I'm in business. Um, My parents have been in business for 50 years. And my mum asked me the other day, what's this word entrepreneur? What does that mean? And it made me smile because that's what, you know, her and my father are, but they would never use that word. And I think sometimes with some people, it has a bit of an icky connotation. I'm very proud to be Female Entrepreneur of the Year um, for the Chamber. Very, very proud. Um, But I, I... personally prefer business owner. And I think you are entrepreneurial in the way that you go about business and how you support others. And um, and that spirit is, is probably more important than, than the title or the business that it might be attached to. So, so definitely. And I, I just want to take it back to a second for you said about professional services award. Now that's something, that's an area that we've been uh, shortlisted in twice now. Um, but very traditionally, we would always see a solicitor in that category or an accountant in that category. So it's great to see that recognition that that yours and ours and, and businesses like us are really challenging that we we are a professional service. We are supporting businesses to grow. And and, um, and just to push that one step further is that and you've talked very eloquently there about the applying for the awards and that every business should do it. And I know I'm sure we'll come onto it in more detail perhaps now as the employer of the year and, and different things like that. I just, and one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you was particularly because we've, we've won lots of awards and it's really elevated our platform and we've continued to use them. Do you see that there's a real change now then in terms of the, what perhaps were traditional winners in, in that sense versus yourself and the services that you provide? not necessarily the size, but the services. Yes, and I think there's a lot more diversity within professional services as a category now because you know some of these business awards have been going quite a long time, but market shifts and, and you know we see a lot more in digital. That would be a professional services, you know, marketing, advice and consultancy. So it can, you know, green environmental consultancy support. There can be such a, a breadth of, of awards um, and that opens up a lot more possibilities. And I think we're seeing a definite shift in some of the categories now so that we can recognize the ways in which um, small businesses are developing, and I hate to use this word, but pivoting, to continue to survive and thrive and build and harnessing all the new technology that's coming forward to be able to find their niche. Um, And then, you know, that's what the award can elevate um, it can bring you new customers, but also new members of staff, new collaborators, um, new funding streams. You know, it, it can bring a whole range of different people to your door, 
not instantly necessarily, but you know, over a period of time, if you use them as a as a collateral resource to to take your business further forward. I'm looking at companies' priorities over the next couple of years, where certainly where HR departments and people departments are are really looking at developing their strategy over the next couple of years. And one of the things that I've seen more and more now, and it's something I've been banging in the drum for quite a while, so it's nice to hear that people are finally recognising this, is is one that they need to attract and retain the, the talent for businesses. We know that there's a, a huge skill shortages out, um, shortage out there. There's a, a huge talent shortage out there. And the, the talent wall is very much going on out there. Um, perhaps it's over and, and people have recognised that they can't battle anymore, perhaps. But there's a real point around... Um, shouting about the culture of your business, uh, not only for the, the those people that you want to come and join and, and, and attract that talent, but for the people that are in there, because we can, we can get very lost in working, can't we, in, in the day-to-day, and you said you've worked in some big businesses where we can get lost in the day-to-day, we don't recognise these fantastic benefits and, and cultures that are in the businesses, so it's, it's become the uh, priority of the HR department to make sure that that they are being seen, that they that people are recognising that that barbecue that they had last month was a huge part of their culture, that the way in which they deliver the policies, that they create new policies is absolutely part of the culture. The HR and, and um, people departments now are, are very much recognising that from what I can see in research, that they need to be shouting about what they do just as much as the business does to its own customers. Would you would you recognise that? And perhaps that do you see the benefits of of those awards ticking those boxes yeah i see a lot of new awards coming in now that are particularly looking at that so you know the sustainability angle the environmental how you protect and support the mental health and well-being of your staff and those awards they will attract the future talent because you know the students that i talk to used to talk to and the graduates they're looking for values-led organizations now, this is where small companies can compete. They can make very real, tangible differences to their local community. They could support a local charity. You know, a percentage of their profits could go towards that local group. And I, you know, I've got friends in Derby that genuinely do do that, and they are family businesses of just two people, yet they, they give a percentage of their profits to a local charity, and they choose one every year. That's very attractive from a recruit's point of view because it shows the value that that organization places on who it can help. It's not just there for pure commercial reasons, nor is it entirely philanthropic. So it's a good mix. And I, I think that's a very attractive space, that section in the middle. And obviously, as an ex-HR professional, you know, I'm still very interested in why people make the choices that they do and how they can communicate that community benefit. But it's very important that that is a golden thread that runs through the company. So you may have that outward-facing um, community benefit, but if your policies and systems don't align with that, then your new recruits will not stay. You will not get the benefit of why they've come to you, not just to do the technical job in hand, but because they can contribute to your wider strategy and vision as a company. It's interesting because I'm reflecting on uh, the Employer of the Year Award, which is some, an award we know well. Uh, we see that happening all the time. And whilst you were talking there, 
Absolutely. The Community Award speaks volumes about how you are as an employer and the type of business and the values that align to your own. The Sustainability Award is is is, is huge now. And I know you, I think that's quite a new one, isn't it? The Sustainability Award. I've not seen that in many, depending on where, where you go, not many not many people have that. Um, so it's, it's great that to think bigger picture rather than just saying, oh, we'll enter towards a um, an employer of the year because because we want to tick that box and show that we act we are a great employee to work for but you can um, do that in other ways and, and showing those qualities that's made you become employer of the year perhaps um, you, you've 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 certainly inspired me straight away in just the the different ways to look at that certainly just winding forward then we're, I'm sure there'll be people listening to this podcast that will be saying I absolutely need to get on this um, or maybe sitting there in your scenario where you said you applied for three years and got nowhere and, and felt a little bit rejected. I know I've been there. I've seen that happen a number of times. Um, but there are people on here that that really want to achieve these re- rewards and have heard the benefits that you've just, just talked about. Now, I know you do this in businesses. I know that you help them go out and find funding and support them to be able to, to get that funding to be able to make the difference to their businesses as well as go out and get the awards. So I know... People that are listening, go to Rachel. If you're just thinking, I really can't be bothered with this. I, I really need some absolute help. Then then jump on the phone and you'll find links everywhere for, for Rachel on these podcasts. But what if I was an individual and I was sat behind a computer without giving all your secrets away? What makes a good award submission? What makes a good tender submission? The main thing you have to have is time. And I know that's difficult for, for us business owners we're very time poor but if you're going to do it you want to do it well this is going to be something that leaves your company via email or however in a portal so it needs to be the best it could be you would not set you would not go to a meeting unprepared you would not send a pitch without that preparation so that's my first tip Um, and work back from their deadline so if their deadline is the end of December then your cutoff point is you know, ideally a week before that. Um, the closer I get to the deadline, the more stressed I can get in writing. You end up giving yourself an ulcer. Nobody wants that. It comes out in your in your writing. So time. Um, and because I, I'm self-taught in my business, um, so I treat everything very much like applying for a job and, and writing that CV or the supporting documentation bit in an application form. So I start to pull information together. So, you know, from your website, from your LinkedIn, um, and and then I start to build it into, into a story. The thing that's different to an award as opposed to a growth funding application or a tender is that you can add a bit more of your personality. And, and it's the story about how you became what you've become, how you meet the criteria, obviously. So, you know, if it's about employer of the year, Talk about being an employer of the year. Don't just give me war and peace about your company. If it's about your um, green credentials, give me evidence for that. So make sure you've read through the terms and conditions. That's so important because if if you need to provide certain information or you need to be on a certain date and you're not there, that's going to make the judges cross. We don't want the judges cross. We want them in a nice, warm, fluffy feeling to, to read a really great story. And I truly do sit there and think, if I was reading this, A and 1, does it give me everything I'm looking for so it makes my scoring easy? 
be into is it interesting do i think oh because especially if you're applying for something like micro business of the year that could be quite a crowded category so you've got to stand out so it's like when i when i used to teach my students and we talk about their cvs and i would tell them about my experience of recruiting and i say you know the sorts of cvs i mean that the personal profile says i'm a committed um a committed individual that's able to work on their own or as equally as a member of a team and they could see them all go oh my god that's my cv because it's vanilla mm. what i want is color and fireworks and you know somebody that says something that makes me go oh i've not heard of that before um don't lie don't fabricate don't say that you're you know an exceptional business owner with 20 years of track record if that's not the case support that with your data so you know i say i'm an award winning consultancy that's brought in turnover for my clients i've won 30 it's 35 million now i've had another couple of wins this week so that substantiates that so you know make positive confident claims that are reinforced by your evidence um and give it somebody else to read we see and read what we want it to say we don't always pick up on the typos and the errors and the jargon that we're always comfortable with it's interesting there i think um, some really powerful stories that can be told and i always find that's more engaging than readings about something that is that has changed that passion comes through there that you from from my point of you know and having read and submitted a few of ours we always we always do and, and i would hope to that it's the right thing to do certainly from my point of view is is to talk about how proud I am of those achievements that we've had as a business, if that's if that's relevant to it, um, and show how we, like you say, illustrate there, and, and show how we've maybe the metrics. So if that's supported by perhaps a an engagement survey that we've done, and we've gone from seventy points at satisfactory to ninety points at excellent, over what time period was that, and how did that happen? Um, and I think that's that's something that we've really seen help us uh certainly we think so they never get quite give us enough feedback do they uh and perhaps when they reject and uh, you, you've experienced it yourself it it's the, can be the most disheartening uh thing to have in rejection and um i'm sure you've got clients but th- there must be a lot of good that comes out of that that rejection and going through that process no matter whether you get shortlisted or not as business owners you you've got to have the hide of a rhino you you just have um, you know, there are times I pitch for work and I'm not successful and I'm disappointed. That's the corona coaster, the roller coaster that I talked about. What I've done with clients, um, particularly over the past 18 months, is if if that award that award copy hasn't gone forward into being a finalist or even a winner, we've recycled it into PR copy. Um, we've had articles in in business magazines. So that we are still making the most. I I really believe and are very and I'm very passionate about my clients getting extra value out of the words that I write with them, and we do write together um, because I want their passion to come across in the words that I that I choose for them. Um, so we you know we create social media bits, we create web copy, we create leaflets, we create new pitch documents if if that's the sort of business that they're in. Um, and that one of the most recent articles I'm so proud of because it was an excellent, really excellent um, award submission, and I was gutted 
But actually, the magazine article is probably even better because it has more longevity, I think, because it's there all the time. And, and that made me super proud. I'm really pleased to ask that question. And you answered it so well is absolutely that you, for me, I, we can get lost in the world of what we're doing and we write it down and we send it off and it's quite cathartic in its own sense. It, and sitting there and you can say, do you know what? I am really proud. If we don't win this award, having now got everything down on paper that I've just been getting on with the day to day, the week to week, I've now read it back and gone, do you know what? I've done really well. I've done really well over the last 10 years, 20 years, whatever it might be of the business. And to be able to read that back, I think it's a really nice process to go through. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about as well is Swap Shop, because we absolutely need to give this some airspace. It's fantastic. And I'm so excited to be talking to you about this just as much as everything else, I'm sure. So Swap Shop was my my antidote to to COVID and the lockdown. So yes, I was one of the excluded community from government support. And it was a very terrifying time. I try not to think about it too much because it gets me really emotional. Um, all my family are self-employed, so it was happening to all of us, um, and, it, and it was truly scary. And whilst I live and work by criteria in my world, and I understand that there's only so much support to go around, the way it made me feel, it made me feel that I, I was a very fraudulent business owner, that I was doing something wrong, and that wasn't the case and isn't the case. And I was on one of the very first marketing derby bondholder um, Zoom calls when we didn't really know how to use Zoom and everybody was locked down in their, in their bedrooms or their front rooms. And Tracy Harrison from Safe and Sound, which is a charity for, um, for young people, so there's got to be a way that we can swap our skills with each other. And because I am that magpie, and I remember Noel Edmonds' swap shop back in the day with the toys. It was my favorite program. I thought, wouldn't that be a great idea? So I rang Dean Jackson from Hoob, and we reminisced about children's TV for a bit. And I said, I think this is a great idea. And he agreed with me. And I said, but I can't code for Toffee, and neither can you. Um, and he mentioned Lee from Think3. And I rang him and he said yes to me straight away and our stars were definitely aligned on that on that day when I was sitting in my garden hoping that he would help and within two weeks Think3 had built, built the first swap shop which was called Derby Swap Shop and we launched on May the 4th and basically in a nutshell we swap skills talents products and services with each other so it's a non-monetary bartering exchange website that's totally free to use we expanded across the East Midlands. We replicated in Nottinghamshire and Leicestershire, run by some champions. And what we quickly realized was that we just couldn't physically run three websites and our own businesses at the same time because my chameleon work started to pick up again. And Lee from Think3, his team were flying and still are. And we'd had requests for help from Devon and Scotland and Bristol and everywhere so we rebranded slightly in the november and went uk wide still funded on by ourselves <laughs> in our volunteer time and and we were crazy really to think oh this will be really easy um it's a huge challenge and it's a monster um but we now have 948 members 58 percent of them are women uh 43 counties um we've had some amazing swaps We've had somebody start up their own business because they met somebody in Swap Shop and they've gone to create something together. Um, Colleague Box 
um, met Penguin PR through Derby Swap Shop and went on to turn over a million within the first sort of nine months of trading. And Natalie attributes a very small part of that journey to the relationship she made and met through Swap Shop. Um, she's a huge advocate of ours and I'm very grateful for her support. Um, and for the support of everybody in the Derby community, I really think it shows just how we are part of the Enlightenment movement. We're ahead of the curve and we can support each other and small businesses can solve their own issues because especially micros, there's no support for us. We're, too, we're considered too small, but there are 5.96 million of us. So collectively, we can be very, very powerful. And, and that's what I want to harness because me on my own, my voice is very small. Me on behalf of 948 other people, it's a little bit louder. And to take us forward to be able to support a proportion of that 5.96 million is, is what makes my heart sing, but what is a huge mountain to climb. And I have days where it's flying and it's wonderful. And then I have days where it, it seems too much. But I feel very keenly the plight of my fellow micro business owners. I, I really do feel that keenly. And I feel that Swap Shop can tackle those challenges that they face. And I, and I want to do something about it. It's so important. I mean, now the, the UK shop, Swap Shop, can, can we just get check on the address that people will go to for that? I'm sure that people would um, type this into look at the podcast links. So it's www.theukswapshop.com swapshop with an a dot co dot uk for me it's so important that the derby swap shop which is um, ultimately the town the, the city where nearby where i live uh is my community and um, for me it's really important even more important because of course where i live on all the way from derby up through those are people that will know up to matlock and through those areas was um, a unesco world heritage site uh, it's um, the start of the industrial revolution across across the world. Uh, so, so for Derby Swap Shop to grow into something that, and I've seen people talk about this on an international scale. So I don't even want to say the UK Swap Shop anymore. But uh, those spoiler alerts there, maybe I don't know. But it's grown and grown and grown, and you you've done amazingly with it. But um, just whilst you were talking there, that the, also the the connection with that for me was. Um, and how I understand it. And um, I'm sure there'll be some more um, educated people that, that know history better than I do. Uh, but my understanding is that when Richard Arkwright, uh, a very important name in that, in that movement, uh, he, um, he and many others built communities around where they built their factories and their, 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 their manufacturing plants, as we might call it now. Um, and those people were paid money in that currency that they would spend locally and how i relate that back is that if we can help if we if we need to purchase items services whatever that might be for our business then you're ultimately printing a new currency of money as far as i'm concerned by that can only be spent by people on that platform that by the looks and, and the sound of it are absolutely small businesses so why go out there and spend a hundred, a thousand pound on a product or service that you that you ultimately need for your business when you can log on the platform and exchange it for something that they're also looking for as well? And that for me is a fantastic circular economy, certainly, and and, and a way of producing your own currency. And I absolutely 
Um, another applause from our producer Pete, hopefully, uh, um, because it's fantastic what you've done. It really is, and um, and I think it can be the start of the the revolution, um, which I can see in the background. Does that? I can't quite read that there. Does it say join the? Yeah, it says join the swapping revolution. So there that, we go. That's how I, I feel that, about it, really. It is. It is a revolution. Um, forget the industrial revolution let's switch on to the swapping revolution where do you think that being a people focused podcast that employers from your view because you see it in lots of different ways and I've sat on um, advisory boards with you and we've seen lots of different um, angles of the world if, if that's the right phrase where do you think employers are going wrong is not the phrase I want to use but where do you think that they perhaps could do better uh, and where they perhaps need to embrace change that, from your point of view as an employee or as an employer, perhaps? That's such a broad area. Um, <laughs> I think... There's a lot to do, isn't there? So I think one of the, There is. And one of the things that I always remember from when I was frontline HR was that choose your managers really wisely and make sure they are supported because... Just because somebody is a technical expert doesn't mean that they are comfortable or able to manage staff. And this is one of the things that I talk to my students about when they say, oh, I want to be a manager. And part of me is, you know, be careful what you wish for, because it can be the most challenging and rewarding role in your career. Um, and I think it's about knowing yourself, knowing your own limitations and the power of communication. One of the things that I went on when I was still frontline HR was I went on an NLP course, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And it has a bad rap sometimes, but I found the language part of that fascinating and how I could change my own mindset, what to look out for in the things that people said or didn't say and how they said it. And I, that could have been a whole new career for me in and of itself. Um, and, and having that extra spidey sense, I call it, to, to understand your people and know what's going on. And that makes an exceptional employer. Um, you have to balance getting the job done. And I like employers that are not afraid to say it as it is, but are not ruthless. So they won't stand for poor behavior. They won't stand for slacking. Um, but they are fair and they are transparent because... I disagreed with my managers over time. You know, we do. But I am adult enough to have an adult-to-adult -adult conversation and we agree to compromise because at the end of the day, they're the boss. Um, that can't always be said for everybody's experience of the workplace. And nothing makes me more angry, even to this day, than poor HR practice, um, where people take advantage of other people, where they're, you know, they're, they're mean. Um, and equally, I don't like working with people who don't say what they're going to do. Um, so um, I'm glad I don't work in HR anymore, um, <laughs> purely because it's extremely complex. And I, and I have to be totally honest, it wasn't my, it wasn't my expertise area. Um, I love working with people, I really do. Um, but I think even though this happened to me by accident, I think it was the only way that I was ever going to go. But I have the utmost respect for, for a lot of HR people out there who are truly excellent. But it is not their role to rescue everybody, nor be the policy police. They should be integral to the business um, and, and seen as a, as a key stakeholder in that. 
Absolutely. And, a, and there are sadly HR departments that hide behind those doors, uh, to, to use that phrase very, very clearly. And they very often I hear that open door policy, but very rarely do I see it um, happen as, as, as absolutely as clear as that. Um, and my experiences, and certainly I, I can see the way of the world going over the last couple of years with, with COVID and the pandemics and, and, the, and the learnings that have come from that is that maybe perhaps the, the coin of phrase of maybe the decentralization of HR and the managers getting more involved. And you're talking about your students area, um, students that you that you work with and support, they they want to be recognized as individuals. They want to have a personal relationship. Certainly the the um, the, the new generations that are coming into work and becoming quite dominant in there is the, the millennials and, and, and et cetera. Um, they absolutely, from the stats and the research that I've seen, they want to be seen as an individual, but they also want to be dealing with an individual and not dealing with a company. And I, uh, went, I was joking earlier on today, actually, with our marketing department, and we were looking at all these technical personas and all these different things that we, that we do as a business. And we realised that it's a very person-to-person relationship that we have with our clients. And and I think that is absolutely right for HR because you aren't just an employee that deals with the business. You are an employee that that deals with a manager, the, the people around you, the culture of the business is the people. The framework might be set and it might be more formalised by the business, but the culture and everything about that business is the people. Um, it sounds really cliche, but this is why we talk about people focused because it, it really, really is. Um, and I and I get what you're saying there. It, the communication needs to be done from two levels. Absolutely needs to be clear from that individual. What area is it for, for people that are listening that you support, that you have students and support them with? I teach in the business school um, as part of the first and second year um, HR elements, so HR modules. Um, and also the enterprise module for first-year students. Um, I was continuing to teach during the the lockdown, um, and I've just taken this last semester off. I'm an associate, which is like being a supply lecturer, um, so I I do get to choose um, because the business really has taken, and also swap shop is just, you know, there's only a a finite amount of time. Um, But I loved it. Um, working with the students I think they liked the fact that I was still in industry as well so we we would talk about my experiences of working in HR but also what it is to to run your own business my experience of of doing that and building that up Um, and you know they're phenomenal the students coming out of Derby are are excellent um, future recruits for any local firm Um, and I do actively encourage them to look at local opportunities and not just always think of the big guys in in london or birmingham it must be a scary world for those students to come out there and uh, I'm, I'm sure a big part of your role is to to mentor them in in lots of ways have they told you what scares them the most about going into the world of work with everything that's going on so obviously i don't know so much of them from from this semester but one of the things that always struck me was that just a lack of feedback they would receive from their application. So they never knew where they were going wrong or if it was just, it's just not your time, the other candidate was exceptional. And I think I think that's really hard. It's always been that way. But when I worked in recruitment, we would give an element of feedback, perhaps only to the ones that had been interviewed, but we would, and if somebody rang up, we would. 
it just seems to be a blanket no now and they have to shout so much louder and for longer about themselves so not only are they coming to university to, to learn they're probably also working to support themselves um, they're expected to look at internships placements continue to fund themselves you know all the self-directed learning the internet is a wonderful resource that I certainly didn't have when I was at university but conversely it's information overload so it, it's a double-edged sword with that really um, so it's it's so much more than when I was at university um, you know we could just come out straight with our degree and then think about a job for these guys it's more or less from their first year right let's start talking about it now what do you want to be you need to be positioning yourself in that in that area you need to do X Y and Z um, and that's and that's difficult because there is a definite disconnect between sixth form and college and university and bearing in mind, I see the students in their very first year. It does take them that year to transition and, and to become, a, a, we call it, self-directed learner because they've been spoon-fed up until that point. And then all of a sudden it's like, right now, go away and, and read and learn for yourself and be away from home and look after yourself. It, it's a huge achievement. They are the managers. They are the employees of the future. We've, we've got a duty of care uh, and a moral obligation to make sure that we're supporting them on that journey. And I absolutely would encourage, I, I know I've not done it, done it for a while, uh, for, for other reasons as well. Um, one of the things that's on my to-do list is, is get back on the phone. I know we've got some, some mutual friends at Derby University uh, and I definitely, I'm sure we'll listen to this and send me an email on the back of it. Uh, so yeah, Beth <laughs> being one, I'm sure. Uh, but I absolutely want to get back in that involved and, and support those students because I think we, we like I say we have an obligation moral obligation to support that community and as businesses oh it's communication it's communication just communicate with people tell them no if that's that's all you're going to tell them tell them no but just tell them something a little bit more but quite often you don't even hear the no's they just get ignored and, and that's awful so um, yes I'm going to get start getting annoyed about it in a minute but yeah communication um, let's let's start treating people like people and not like assets or you know they, they are if you start treating a person like a person I, I will tell you now that your business will grow dramatically and, and and that's what all the stats are saying it's not just me it's not just Rachel it's not just people that you keep hearing now in the community it, it does make a difference and there's so much science behind it and one day I'll do a podcast on that alone or webinars but um but yeah, communication is key. We've talked just very briefly then about mentors and managers, etc. Who's been your best mentor or manager that stands out for you over the years? I've had some great managers and, and mentors and I've had some shocking ones too, um, which I think helps you to, to choose. Um, so there are two people that I would particularly mention. One of them is um, Jonathan Andrews, who is my business mentor. So I found Jonathan through Staffordshire Chamber of Commerce. Burton is based in Staffordshire. Um, and Jonathan is also a bid writer. And I was very particular about who I wanted to be my business mentor. And I wanted somebody in my field um, because it's the technical aspects of bid writing that I needed the support with. So he's been instrumental and we pay each other with dinner. Um, and we've also done work together. So that's been awesome. The other person is Bev Crichton 
from the university and also Derby County Community Trust. So Bev was very influential when I first decided. (laughs) We do love you, Bev. So it's Bev's fault that um, I started up in business, really. Um, She helped me choose my business name. She helped me to remember to go totally self-employed when the university wanted me to stay. She reminded me that that wasn't part of what I'd agreed with myself at the very beginning. And she knows everybody, but more than that, she is generous to a fault with her support. And equally, you know, over the past 18 months with with her and my other core group of of business friends, you know, I, I just wouldn't be without them. And she's an excellent sounding board. I do follow her advice because it comes from a point of expertise and most importantly, care. Um, so yeah, those two, Bev and Jonathan, have been fabulous. And there's there's lots of others, but if you had to make me choose, they would be the one. And I am making you choose. I'm sorry, I've got to. I'm glad you said the Bev though. Um, so we'll definitely throw a mention out to her because she's huge and promised me that she'll make me a vegan curry at some point. So uh, with her amazing vegetable growing and talents that she's got, um, I think lifetime achievement award at some point for Bev because she's done so much. So. Um, hugely maybe that's an award we need to keep an eye out for um, brilliant so then book recommendations a little bit like people and I imagine you've read a lot of books uh, so it's hard to pick a book is there any one or I'm, I'm going to give you two books perhaps uh, is there one or two books that you that really stand out that you think people should be reading funnily enough I don't read a huge range of books because when I've been teaching I, I just get information overload now because obviously I've been reading academic texts for the for delivery. Um, so then I tend to read, uh, I'm a, a big reader of fictional stuff. But one of the books that I found um, when I was sort of trying to look at my business structure and be really certain is something called the Freelance Bible. And it's so practically written. And this is what is often the mistake about business books. That it can be very complex and and I am a bear of very small brains sometimes, so I just need something really simple that, that talks in a language that I understand. Um, and that book does that. Um, the lady's name is Alison. I want to say grade, but I might have that wrong. Um, but it's called The Freelance Bible, and I've recommended it to other people that want to go solo. Um, she has a career mainly in creatives and, and TV. Um, she also set up um, a motorbike um, driving school completely random but just the way in which she approaches it really breaks it down and and i do return to that time and time again i've just checked so alison grade the freelance bible everything you need to go solo in in an industry sounds like a great read i'm definitely going to have a look at that one myself as well now if you listen to these podcasts before we always ask to talk about personal mission versus company mission Um, and we can sit there and say this is my company's mission value but we are people, we are individuals. So if we had to take away that mission value of the company, what would be your personal mission statement? How would you like to be remembered? Ooh, to make a difference, uh, make a positive difference. So, you know, whether that's helping my clients win the money, getting them the award that motivates them for their sacrifices, or helping a micro business out you know, um, and enabling them to then go on and help others. I think that's what I'm after is the ripple effect. I want to be remembered as, as somebody that, that helped 
Uh, and that sounds really naff and cliched, but but it's true. Um, it's that sweet spot between the commercial and the charity, um, and that's where Swap Shop lives. And that's why I get very passionate and equally despondent about it when it doesn't. And I'm not patient, you see, so it's that bit in the middle. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you think that comes from your parents? You talked quite a few times about them being solopreneurs, self-employed, uh, whatever terminology you want to use. Do you think that's maybe come from them that you've that you've seen where they've succeeded, we've seen where they struggled, and you want to make sure that people don't go through that journey that you've seen from an outside, but also gone through yourself? Yes, I do. My my father was, is a very successful businessman, but was also part of his community, and I used to see him regularly help others. Um, my my mum too. She's she's got a very kind heart. There was always neighbours that we were helping, taking food to, and, and things like that. Um, and you know that being kind um, and making a good impression and, and following up on things that you said that you were going to do has been a, a, a constant family trait, I would say. But then equally, making sure that you do make money and you can that it's sustainable and that you can pay your bills. And and one of the things my father always said is that you know you you are your own white knight. If ever I came home from school disappointed because I hadn't done well, it would be like you know, sort yourself out. You couldn't feel sorry for yourself for long. You know, that was not a productive way to spend your time. You have to pick yourself up and crack on. For some people, that's more difficult. So if I could help somebody do that just by propping them up or swapping something, then surely that's the right thing to do. What one core value would you pick out that you absolutely relate to that is perhaps the most, the one value you're not prepared to compromise? To deliver what I said. So if I said I'm going to do it, I will. And and if that's authenticity or I'm not quite sure what word... I should know, shouldn't I, as a wordsmith. But at the end of the day, my words start to diminish. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, I, I my word is, is true. I, I'd keep to what I say. Just from what you said on the, the last question, is that your parents have said, you will get it done and you've got to get this sorted and you, you've got to pick yourself up and push forward. It's almost like that. You want to be reliable perhaps and consistent and yeah I'll, I'll look that up as well there's absolutely a word that I can hear there I just can't think of it right now so there you go some homework for you as well Rachel fantastic well well by the time it goes out everyone will, you'll know what it is so we'll maybe post it afterwards so um, maybe that's a blog a social media post for you to go I did figure it out there's absolutely so many words that I could use to describe you in, in a positive way uh, I know we have lots of jokes in that but um, a genuine of um, I've really enjoyed just you being around the community on behalf of everybody that you supported. But as us as individuals, I really just wanted to say thank you very much. We, as as talk staff, and how you've helped me as an individual and a community, um, absolutely thank you. Um, you. You've been so supportive in so many ways. It's always great to see you at a meeting. I know that we, we attended a meeting, it feels like forever ago, and I ran up to you and we get both hooked and I was so excited to see each other and it was great to see you. And um, and that's a feeling I get when I, when I see you every time because you are an absolute breath of fresh air. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I know lots of people will get um, a lot of value out of it. To remind everyone, so I've been talking today with Rachel Haywood. She is uh, the superb entrepreneur of the year and many other titles, the owner of Ask the Chameleon and co-creator of The Swap Shop, which you can go online and find out. Hopefully you've enjoyed today, Rachel. Thank you. I have. It's been absolutely wonderful. You've asked me some really interesting questions 
um, and I will go off and think about what that word is. But thank you so much, Gary. It's always wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. So keep listening to the People Focus podcast. Uh, you can find us online if you search Google on Apple Podcasts and all different platforms. And uh, yeah, join us next time. That was the People Focus podcast with Talk Staff. Please use your podcast app to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And for more content, visit talkstaff.co.uk slash people focus.